Well, good morning. It's uh, so good to see all of your costumes today. It's very scary, right? Uh, just, just teasing, but uh, you know, I'm glad to be here. Over the last several years, I've had the uh, privilege to visit the country of Haiti about seven times in maybe the last 16, 17 years, something like that. And you can imagine uh, how impactful a trip like that is uh, when you hear story after story of people's just extreme poverty and, and the devastating consequences in the lives of these families that you, you eventually come to know and, and to love. And when that famous, now famous earthquake in 2010 hit in Haiti, I, I remember I was glued to the news coverage. And, you know, while life continued on here uh, in the U.S., uh, I was waiting to hear from a mission organization that we had partnered with many, many years to, to hear if some of those people that I've come to know and love were okay. But over the years of visiting Haiti, I realized that the Haitians had a lot of knowledge that they could teach me. Uh, for instance, I, I was kind of amazed because I, I kind of have a hobby of like, uh, you know, building. I love building construction kind of stuff. And I, I sat there and I watched uh, four guys square up uh, a cement foundation uh, with just a, a tree branch and the, the rattiest bunch of string you will have ever seen in your life. I mean, there were, there were no framing squares. There were no tape measures. There were uh, no levels of any kind, just a tree branch and some ratty string. And it was perfect. It was a perfect 90-degree angle. I mean, it, it just floored me. I, I was amazed. Uh, the other thing I, I was always amazed at was, you know, I'd be trying to sleep uh, into the morning, and I'd every time I'd be woken up by the sound of this just choir of, of just many, many Haitians just singing praises to the Lord. Like, that's how they would start their day every day, just with thanksgiving, and it, it, it just impacted me because I'm thinking these people are facing some of the most dire, difficult, traumatic experiences that, that you could imagine. And here they are filled with lots of joy. And so I became a student uh, of their culture and of their history. And one thing that really stood out to me uh, that, that I just found fascinating was Haiti's complex history as it relates to slavery and freedom. You see, Haiti is the first black republic on the face of the earth. 700,000 Africans were taken and they were enslaved in this French colony in the 17th and 18th centuries. And uh, they worked these plantations to, to keep what was the most profitable colony in history working smoothly. That is, until one person had this thought that these enslaved Africans were not meant to be slaves, that they were not born to be slaves. Now, of course, it's a, maybe a little more complicated than that, but at the same time, it's, it's about as simple as that, right? I mean, you know, they, they started thinking and dreaming and plotting, and eventually some hard, cold statistics were, came to light and the chief among them was that the Haitian people outnumbered the slavers by a lot. A revolution began. It was bloody. Most historians agree it was one of the most bloodiest revolutions in history. The, the French masters, they were defeated, and the Africans now were free, kind of. 
You see, after an incredible uprising, after this declaration of freedom for the people of Haiti, uh, a complex story of exploitation and political unrest began. Waves of injustice from without and within made the Haiti that I would come to visit very oppressed by slavery of many different kinds. I mean, gone are the plantations, but still present was the poverty. Gone were the shackles and chains, but still present was the political corruption that kept people living in constant fear. And perhaps what floors me the most is that former slaves are now slavers themselves. I think it begs the question, what happened? I mean, what happened here? And if I try to answer that question, I think the answer is simply this, the slavery returned. You see, slavery has a way of trying to always return. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me or tap through on your Bible app to uh, the book of Galatians. We're going to be in chapter 5 of the book of Galatians. That's where we're going to spend our time this morning. If you're just joining us uh, for this series or you're just joining us online, uh, we want to let you know we started this series called Who Are You? Finding Your Identity in Christ. And we said that We live in this world that loves to give labels to people. That from an early age, people try to give you an identity. They try to shape who you are and therefore ultimately who you will become. And so I I meet people all the time. Maybe you're one of them that you've never paused long enough or they've never paused long enough to ask themselves this critical question. Who am I? Who am I? Because, you see, people don't know who they are, and therefore, they don't know why they're here. You know, Rick Warren, he he wrote that famous purpose-driven life, and it posed the question, what on earth am I here for? But before you can ask the question, what on earth am I here for, you have to know who you are. Who are you? And so people are often given this identity by this world, and they go through their entire life carrying that label, living into that identity. And so in this series, our goal is to dig into the Bible, to dig into scripture and see who God says we are in him. Because our identity in Christ is powerful. For we were not created to be destroyed, but to be enjoyed. We were not accidents. We were on purpose. We're not ordinary. We're extraordinary. We're not worthless. We're priceless. And before we can do Anything that matters, we need to know that we matter. That we must be someone who really matters or our actions won't really matter. And so in this, this week, in this series, we've been looking at different aspects of who God says we are. And this week, we're going to look at this aspect that God says you are free. If you are in Christ, you are free free. Look at verse 1 in chapter 5 of Galatians. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, do not let yourselves be burdened again by this yoke of slavery. Don't miss this. Paul says two things here. First, Christ has set you free, but the second one is this. Stand firm, 
so that the slavery does not return. You see, historically, people tend to always return back to their slavery. We see this in the story of the Exodus, right? That the Hebrew people were living in Egypt and out of fear of the Hebrew people because they multiplied like rabbits. Pharaoh views them as a potential threat, not as successful friends. And so he begins to oppress them, making their lives hard, making them work and ordering midwives to kill all their baby boys. That is until two midwives refuse to do so. And in that refusal, there's a child who lives, who gets brought into the household of Pharaoh, raised in the palace. This baby's name was Moses. Most of you know this story. He led the Hebrew people out of Egypt as God liberated them. But it didn't take long, did it? As they're wandering in the wilderness for them to start to want to return back to their slavery. Exodus 16.3 says this, the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat, ate all the food we wanted. Sounds like me. We sat around pots of meat, we ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. What happened? What happened is they were wishing they could go back to the days in which they were enslaved. And the warning Paul gives the church here in Galatia, it's exceptionally prophetic because slavery has a way of always returning. Oppression has a thousand different colors. And in the case for this Galatian church, the people were beginning to use religion as a form of slavery. Now, you don't have to be around uh, very long to know that religion can be a very harsh slave master. And because of this, Paul wrote this letter that we call the book of Galatians to the church in Galatia. Now, you're going to learn a little bit about me today because uh, you're going to kind of see a little bit of uh, perhaps my warped, maybe you think it's warped sense of humor, maybe you're with me on this, okay? But you're going to get to see kind of what makes me laugh and how my mind works because when I think of the book of Galatians, well, I think of this. Check this out. Hey, cuz, heard you're having money problems. No, you didn't. Listen, I got the answer. You declare bankruptcy, all your problems go away. Creed Bratton has never declared bankruptcy. When Creed Bratton gets in trouble, he transfers his debt to William Charles Schneider. How would that help, Creed? In Monopoly, you go bankrupt, you lose. You don't go by Monopoly, man. That game is nuts. Nobody just picks up get-out-of-jail-free cards. Those things cost thousands. That is a good point. Bankruptcy, Michael, is nature's do-over. It's a fresh start. It's a clean slate. Like the witness protection program. Exactly. Not at all. I've always wanted to be in the witness protection program. Fresh start. No debts, no baggage. Already got my name picked out. Lord Rupert Everton. I'm a, uh, a shipping merchant who raises fancy dogs. That's the life. I declare bankruptcy! Hey, I just 
wanted you to know that you can't just say the word bankruptcy and expect anything to happen? I didn't say it. I declared it. Still. <laughs> I didn't say it. I declared it. Now, listen. Paul didn't just say we are free in Christ. He declared it. Okay, And he wrote it down in this letter to the church of Galatia. He said, you are free. And just like our Declaration of Independence where John Hancock signed it in his big letters, if you read the end of the book of Galatians, you'll see that Paul signed this Declaration of Freedom, this letter to the church in Galatia. He signed it in big, bold letters. You in Christ are free. He didn't just say it. He declared it, all right? So behind the issues in this church in Galatia was the conviction that some uh, had that only the Jews, uh, only the Jews were truly the people of God. And the problem that this created was that the church in Galatia, were, they were mostly Gentiles. And so the argument was that there was more that was needed than the simple gospel that Paul had come and preached to them when he established this church. The argument was that more was needed, and that more was the law of Moses. And their proof of their allegiance to Moses was circumcision. Now, perhaps the biggest challenge facing those that study the Bible today is answering this question, how does this book apply to me? Because I doubt very much that you've come to church and you've crossed paths with people here at Fork who have said, well, you can't be a part of this church unless you've been circumcised. I, I doubt that that has happened very much. All right? So when studying scripture, you always have to ask this question, what was the author's intended meaning? Because this cannot mean something to us that it didn't mean to Paul's original audience. And so what exactly is it that Paul is addressing here? I mean, is it just circumcision? Because if it is, this book probably not very relevant for us. And by the way, if you don't know what circumcision is, uh, Virgil's going to be in the back corner for fork and four. <laughs> he told me he would gladly explain it to you, okay? So nothing more he would like to do today than explain that to you. Just see him after the service back there in the corner, all right? But you see, larger than this issue of circumcision is the problem that some in the church in Galatia were trying to add more regulations. They were trying to add more laws to the gospel, to the good news. And where the modern Bible student has most likely never had someone tell them that they can't follow Christ without being circumcised, they more than likely have encountered many who've tried to add rules and regulations to the gospel. In fact, if you've hung out at church for any amount of time, chances are very high you've come across someone who alludes to the fact that this person or that person can't be a Christian because dot, dot, dot. Because they vote a certain way. Because they listen to a certain genre of music. Because they dress like this. You know, I mean, it could go on and on. You could probably fill in the blanks yourself because you've probably heard a lot of those statements over time. Perhaps you had once thought 
those statements to be true. Maybe you still think those statements are true. Regardless, I mean, I'm glad that you were here today because there's nothing I get more fired up about, nothing I'm more excited about than telling you about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace that is available to you because you are free in him. And that's the message that Paul has for the church in Galatia. It's the same message that he has for his church today. That in Christ, you are free. Now really, the book of Galatians is a a less lengthy version of the book of Romans. And Paul is, you know, many people believe that Paul in this letter, he's addressing the right way to live from the wrong way to live. But in actuality, Paul is laying out two different ways of living. Two different possible ways to live. And one way is by living your life according to the law of God. The other way is living your life according to the spirit of God. It's a contrast between the law of God and the grace of God. Let's read this text again. It says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated, he's obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value, he says. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So you see, the law, it works like this. You obey the rules, and you escape the penalty. You break the rules, you suffer the penalty. We understand this really well. People are taught from a very early age, there's consequences to our actions. When people break the law, they suffer the penalty. Maybe it's a traffic ticket, maybe it's jail time, or when kids don't listen to their parents, they disobey. You know, they, they either get, you, you know, they get punished. They either get uh, grounded, uh, the, the electronics or something taken away, whatever it is. But we understand this. We understand this way of the law. By the way, if you were to study all world religions, they're all structured this way. You follow Islam, well, there's rules laid out for you in the Quran, And hopefully by the end of your life, you will have been so good at rule keeping that you would have done enough to please Allah that he allows you into heaven. Other religions teach this idea of reincarnation. It still works based It's still according to the principle of the law. You follow the rules and in your next life, you will be born into a much more privileged position in life until you finally reach the state of nirvana. If you break the rules in this life, in your next life, you will be born lower into a caste system. This is how it operates. This is how the law works. And it always leads to legalism. This, by the way, is how the religious leaders in Jesus' day, the Pharisees, operated. Warren Wearsby suggested four steps that people make in in their path towards legalism. 
He said, step one, it starts like this. If I obey the rules, I'll become more, a more spiritual person. And I'm a great admirer, admirer of this religious leader, and so I must submit myself to his system. Step two, I believe that I have the strength to obey and improve myself. I do what I'm told, and I measure up to the standards set for me. Step three, I'm making progress. I don't do some of the things I used to. Other people compliment me on my obedience and discipline. I can see that I am better than others in my fellowship. How wonderful it is to be spiritual. And then step four, if only others were like me. God is certainly fortunate that I am his. I have a desire to share this with others so they can be as I am. Our group is growing and we have a fine reputation. Too bad other groups aren't as spiritual as we are. That's how the law works. But grace works fundamentally different. The way grace works is this. I keep the law and I suffer the penalty. I keep the law and I suffer the penalty. I break the law and I escape the penalty. Now this is where it gets more confusing. Because from a young age, we're taught law. But grace, well, that's one that we have a hard time wrapping our minds around. So according to grace, if I keep the law, I suffer the penalty? I mean, really? That doesn't seem fair, right? We love fair in this country, don't we? This certainly doesn't seem fair. And you're right. It's not fair. It's, it's grace, Look at Galatians 5, verse 3 again. It says this, and again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, that is, every man who allows himself to live under the system of the law, this is what he says. He's obligated to obey the whole law. Here Paul is saying that if you live your life under the system of law to receive salvation, you must keep the whole law. Because you see, so many people think, well, I'm a good person, so uh, at the end of my life when I die, I'll, I go to heaven. But the fact is, the requirement for a place of perfection, such as heaven, which is what that is, the requirement is perfection. You can't let unperfect things into a place of perfection, or it is no longer a place of perfection, right? So that is the, that, that's the requirement, is perfection, and so the question isn't, is this person a good person or not? The question is, is, am I a perfect person? Because under the religious system of law, you're required to obey the whole law. Break any part of it, and you suffer the penalty, which is death. And not just physical death, we're talking spiritual death. We're talking separation from God for all eternity. Now, one important thing to note here is that God is holy. He's just. He can't just let sin, he can't just let transgressions go unchecked. He doesn't sweep injustice under the rug. There's a penalty for law-breaking. Otherwise, God would not be just. He wouldn't be kind. He wouldn't be holy. So Paul tells us in Romans that all of us have sinned and therefore fall short of the standard. The, the, we fall short of the perfection, the glory of God. In other words, we fall short of this requirement of God's law because none of us are perfect, which is why Paul is saying this is a terrible strategy to base your life on. 
to try to be justified by rule keeping. It won't happen. The law will only enslave you. It can't do anything to save you. And the only one the law does not condemn is Jesus because he's the only one that lived a sinless life, a life of perfection. But here's the problem according to Paul. Look look at verse four. He says, you who are trying to be justified by the law, you've been alienated from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. Paul Paul says, in your rule keeping and thinking that you can save yourselves by righteous living, you've discarded Christ. You decided that you did not need a savior because you believe you can save yourself by being good. And the church in Galatia was saying that they were Christians. They said, we follow Christ, but then they started adding requirements. Things that you had to do. Behaviors that you had to measure up to in order to be considered part of God's family. And Paul says, what you don't realize is that these people that are saying these things, they've already been alienated by Christ. They've already fallen away from grace. Not because Jesus isn't power, powerful enough to save them, but because in their desire to keep the law as a means of being justified, because of their desire to add to the gospel, they've taken back up this religious system of the law. And as a result, they've discarded the saving work of Jesus. Remember, grace works like this. You break the law and you escape the penalty. That's us. Under grace, we who are not perfect, we who have broken God's law, we escape the penalty. So the question is is this. If God is just and God is holy, if God doesn't just brush sin under the rug, then how is it possible to escape the penalty when we have so clearly broken it? But remember, grace works and operates like this. You break the law, you escape the penalty. You keep the law, you suffer the penalty. You see, because under grace, the only one who kept the law perfectly, the only one who lived a sinless life, pays the penalty. Because when you accept God's free gift of grace through Jesus Christ, Jesus takes your sin and he places it upon himself and he suffers the penalty that you deserved, death. And Jesus was nailed to a cross for our sin. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, Verse 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. No other religion, no other religious system has a concept even remotely close to the concept of grace. Grace is what separates Christianity from every other religion. For no man or woman would ever conceive a such a crazy concept as an all-powerful creator God who would leave his throne, put on human flesh, walk among us as a common person to be ridiculed and spit upon and nailed to a cross for those, for his creation, for those he created 
No human being would ever conceive of such an idea. That's why every other religion follows the system of law. Because we understand law. But grace, this is the good news. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, grace is the way of the gospel. The church in Galatia, they were trying to play both sides. They claimed to follow Christ. But then they sought out rule following as a path to righteousness. And Paul says, nope, it doesn't work that way. You can't follow the path of law and grace. Because when you follow the path of law, you have abandoned Christ. Now, it might sound like a very strong statement from Paul, but it's because it is. You see, there were people in this church that were abandoning their faith. They were walking away from this good news. They, they were denying the grace of God. Trying to follow rules. Their freedom was at stake. But I think the main concern that I believe the church in Galatia was struggling with, I, th- I think it's the exact same struggle that the church here today struggles with is simply this. Doesn't grace replace the law with the license to do whatever we want? Isn't this such a dangerous teaching? But you see, at the heart of this question is a fundamental misunderstanding of the concept of biblical freedom. We talk about biblical freedom, we're not talking about absolute freedom. One of the first things that God said to Adam and Eve in the garden as he was introducing to them was that they were free. God said, and the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. See, God wanted them to know that they were free, but he didn't stop there because he also needed them to know that true freedom is not absolute freedom. Can you imagine how chaotic it would be to live in a world where everyone does whatever they want? I mean, you don't have to imagine too hard nowadays, do you? It's chaos. It's chaotic. The fact is absolute freedom leads to absolute chaos. So we are free. And we were created to be free, but we are not created to be absolutely free. Because when God told Adam uh, and Eve that they were free to eat from any tree, he followed it up with this. But you must not eat from the tree of the, good of, knowledge, uh, of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will surely die. It's that boundaries are good, right? Boundaries provide security by identifying areas of danger. You see, our freedom is over sin and death. We are free from sin, not free to sin. And it's a big difference. We are free from sin, but not free to sin. So living by grace, it's not a a license to sin. It, It just simply means that, listen, where the spirit of the Lord is, as we sang about, as the follower of Christ that has the spirit of God living in them, They don't need some external set of rules to keep them from rebelling against God. For they have the spirit of God living in them and the spirit empowers them to live out this life, to fulfill this law of love. That's what it means. The spirit enables the believer to overcome the flesh 
the Spirit enables the believer to produce fruit. If you continue on from chapter 5, you'll get to what we call the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. When these are things that are being produced in our lives because we have yielded ourselves to the Holy Spirit that lives in us, we don't need a set of external rules to follow to keep us from living out our faith in love. Folks, the law does not liberate anyone, it only enslaves. The law only stands to condemn us, but the gospel of Jesus Christ, it sets us free from the law of sin and death. I want to look at one more thing real quick. Go back to verse 1 of chapter 5. Let me read this again. For it is in freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He uses this language of yoke. You know, a farmer uses a yoke to control and to guide the the oxen to, to plow the fields because otherwise they wouldn't willingly serve. They wouldn't willingly serve if they were just free. So a farmer places a, a, a yoke on them. Folks, when you choose the way of grace, the message of the gospel, you lose this yoke of servitude to Satan as a slave master intent on your internal bondage. This yoke of religion, this yoke of rule following, of always trying to measure up, and you exchange it for the yoke of Christ. A master of slaves who's intent on your eternal liberation. It's a yoke that Jesus said is easy. He says, come to me. You will find rest for your soul. So one day, Jesus, he was in his, uh, his hometown in Nazareth, and he walked into a, a local synagogue there, and he walks up to the front, and he grabs the scroll It was a scroll of Isaiah, and he opens it up, and he finds this passage that he wants to read uh, to to, to the people there in the synagogue. And he, he reads this text that says, that the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolls the scroll back up. He sits it back down, and he sits down. And every eye is on him in the synagogue. And he begins to tell them, he says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Because, folks, that's why Jesus came. He came to set you free, to set the oppressed free, He came to release the prisoner from the chains of bondage. It's good news for people like us who, like my friends in Haiti, have this real knack of taking this liberty and this newfound freedom that we have and just finding ways of enslaving ourselves all over again. It's what Jesus does. He sets us free. And if Jesus has set you free, you are free indeed. So if you're here this morning, you're a follower of Christ, and you've accepted this good news of God's grace, 
I encourage you to walk in that. Walk into this freedom. Don't fall back into this trap of rule following to try to please God as if you're not enough. You are free in him. If you're here this morning, you've never made Jesus Lord and Savior of your life. And you've not experienced the freedom that comes through this good news, this amazing grace. You know why we call it amazing grace? Because we who've broken the law escape the penalty. That's what's so amazing. You haven't experienced this amazing grace. You haven't given your life over to Jesus. I'd encourage you as take a moment. The band's gonna come out and we're gonna sing this very familiar song that's been sung for many, many years. We're gonna sing about this grace. I'd invite you, if that's you, you can come down here and, and meet me down here. I'd love to begin a conversation with you or maybe after the service, just come find me. We would love to walk you through what it looks like to accept this grace that God has for us. Will you pray with me? Lord, we, uh, we thank you that you loved us so much that while we were still sinners, you died for us. That you, God, perfect picture of perfection, you took our sin and you placed it upon yourself. You allowed yourself to be lowered and humiliated, ridiculed, all because you loved us. That is amazing. I pray, Lord, we never forget that. We continue to stand amazed at this gift that you have given to us through your son. We love you, Lord. We ask all this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.